Hello, and welcome to the Extension Experience podcast with your hosts, Josh Bouchong, Trent Malachik, and Dana Zook. Here you'll find insights into Oklahoma agriculture from West Area Specialists employed by Oklahoma State University Extension. Their perspectives come from assisting county educators and producers in the areas of agronomy, animal science, and economics. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Extension Experience Podcast. I'm Dana Zook. So this morning, I'm with Marty New, my colleague from the Southwest. Good morning, Marty. Morning, Dana. We are recording in early July, just after the Independence Day holiday. So we got a long three-day weekend. And we are very fortunate to have that. So Marty, how was your weekend? It was great. How was yours? It was good. We didn't do anything big. We stayed at home, took the kids swimming in a neighbor's sand pit. Stayed up too late, lighting fireworks. The kids learned how to not light other people on fire. A four-year-old with a Roman candle is terrifying. (laughs) I gotta say, that's a little scary right there. Yeah, so a little bit young to start fireworks if anybody needs advice. But we we came through it okay. So this morning, we are recording at the South Central Research Station here in Chickasha. This research station is part of the OSU University Triangle of Teaching, Research, and Extension. So it's under the research part. They do hay production, alfalfa, a variety of crops. Right, Marty? Yeah, and they have the wheat research plots. It does all the variety trials and one of the major locations for the data collection each year. It's a big research station, kind of something that people don't really know about, right? Right on the eastern part of Chickasha, um, 400-some acres, is that what? Yeah, right at, I think, 480 approximately. And it, the interesting thing that a lot of people don't notice is I-44, Interstate 44, splits the research station. It's on both sides of the interstate. So if you're ever driving through, you can really see where it's at. It's really an interesting place to see. Yeah. So when we're on the research station, if I get a little tour, Michael just drives right under the interstate. We go to (laughs) the other fields and stuff. So there's some cool stuff done here. A variety of researchers from the university have plots. They do different things from one year to the next. Because we are on a station that's so focused on hay production, though, we thought it very relevant to talk about hay storage, specifically round bale storage. Let's talk a little bit about how the round bale came to be, Marty. This is something that all producers use, right? I mean, can we say any producers get by on a bee for livestock operation without round bales? It it would be a very small number at this day and time. Uh, You really don't see many of the conventional, what I still call the small bales. It's actually harder and harder to see a small baler machine anymore uh, because most people have really gone to the large round bales. Uh, due to a variety of different reasons. The round baler was invented in the early 1970s and just really kind of taken off from there. Hay production used to be very labor-intensive, and it still is labor-intensive. I mean, when I was growing up, we did do big round bales, but lots of small squares. The big round baler has reduced labor associated with hay production and has helped kind of preserve feed quality for later use. So we can put up some hay that's at peak nutritional quality. If it's put up right in the summertime, we can use it maybe in the wintertime when we need it later. So kind of like a risk management thing. And it increases flexibility. So, you know, we could have a drought in the wintertime. Right, Marty? Exactly. And 
with the round baler, it's given people more flexibility as far as, you know, not having as much cover. Uh, with the small squares, most of those need to be stored inside a barn. Mm-hmm. Um, like you mentioned, the reduced labor. Trying to find someone that you can hire to haul the small squares was getting to be increasingly difficult. I know when I was younger, I hauled a lot of small squares for nickel bale is what we were getting paid nickel to haul. Nickel bale. Yeah. Wow. So uh, it takes a lot to add up <laughs> when you're doing it like like that. But all of those need to be stored in, stored inside just to, like you mentioned, to preserve that feed quality. And with the round bellers, it gives us that flexibility you also mentioned. Yeah. So it sounds like it's all great. You know, it's a very convenient product. We store it to later, but the convenience sometimes comes at a cost. So okay. you mentioned we can store it outside, but it's subjected to the elements. So what can we see? What can happen? You know, this year is kind of a prime example of how the round bells can be affected by the weather. You know, I'd say the unusual amount of rainfall we've had this this early summer is the impact it has on those bells. Uh, you know, it can really start decreasing the quality. You know, we have a lot more trouble getting that hay put up in a timely manner to optimize the proper moisture and and getting a good tight bale because obviously the tighter the bale the more it's going to shed the Mm -hmm. elements primarily the rainfall and you know that that's the key component of all of this once it's put up good and tight it gives it that capability to be able to shed water in a more efficient way than you know being a really loose bale which i kind of related it kind of turns into a sponge at Mm -hmm. that point in time and just kind of gets real spongy and if you really see those bales that are loose they kind of really start to squat. They lose the shape of a round bell. It kind of <laughs> a mushroom top. Yeah, bell or it kind of becomes a, a mushroom type look. And uh, the other way it really impacts that if if there's a lot of guys that haul the hay out, it's harder to stack on trucks. True. You know, they they can't get a good load to really strap it down good. And it has a huge impact on that as well. So. Yeah. So round bells typically are moved a variety of times even if they don't move from the ranch i mean you're going to move them a variety of different places absolutely so that is a really good point now how much rain have you had in the last week and a half marty down at your place you live kind of uh comanche county yes um i've had right at five inches here at chickasha this morning they were saying they've had 9.2 okay over the last week so yeah so Think about that. Exactly. 9.2 inches or even 5 inches in one week. You know, there's not a lot that we can do to really prevent some of that spoilage on the outside of that bale from occurring. Um, Of course, we typically are more fortunate the farther west you go in Oklahoma, a little bit less rainfall. Bale quality really is a little, I think probably can be assume that it's a little bit better right. just because the less precipitation as you move east of course more precipitation you have whether it be snow or rain or whatever that can really decrease hay quality so this is very commonly used product in we'll say specifically beef industry and nutrition accounts for for around 40 percent of a beef cow budget yes. okay so 40 percent of the cost of every cow is taken up with purchase feeds, grazing costs, um, harvested feeds, that sort of thing. So bales kind of work their way in there. Um, and so if we have spoilage, that's not free. It's impacting the bottom line. 
you know, and anything we can do to increase the efficiency and quality uh, has an ultimate impact on what we're wanting to achieve, you know, producing the final product. So it would be great if we could store all of our bales inside. Right, oh, Marty? Absolutely. And, you know, that's, I'd say the pie in the sky, but I would say less than 1% of the producers probably have that capability. Yeah, have uh, the capability to store all their hay inside. Yeah, sure. Preserve. I, I do know of one producer in southeast Kansas that I work with that did kind of make a hay barn for all his round bales. Now, wow. is that realistic to most producers? No, like you said, 1%. So let's just assume with our conversation going forward that most people store outside. Yes. Think about the the shape of a bale. Okay, we're going to get into geometry. Marty, help me out here. <laughs> Most of the volume is in the the smallest outer edges. So I had to write this down. My math is down here. Um, Listeners know that I'm not as good at math on the fly. So the outer two inches of a six-foot diameter bale equals about 11% of the hay within that bale. Right. Okay. That's 11%. If you lose the outer two inches, that's not very much. No, that's not very much at all. I'm thinking of a ruler here. And that that could be easily lost just in the last week. For sure. And like I mentioned, if if it's a bale that's really loose already, as that squatting occurs, you're increasing that diameter of that bale. So basically, that area is actually getting larger. And then, of course, like you mentioned earlier, where the bale is touching the ground, that's the next portion. Wherever the bale is touching the ground, that's the... That's the place we see spoilage. So it will kind of absorb like a sponge. Right. Just kind of wick it up. And and I think it's also important that with the way the weather is right now, when you move those bales, if it's already wet, that surface that you're moving them on, if it's wet, to me, that's going to even absorb even more moisture at that point in time. Yeah. So if you're placing them on a surface that's wet, right, add to even more problems. There's been researchers all over the United States that have looked at this. So can you put rock down or some people use oil field pads, which is sometimes gyp or limestone that can help. Some people have used pallets to place bales on to keep them up off the ground a little bit better. I don't know. Have you heard of any other ways to store Marty? Those are the primary ones I've seen. I've seen even some try to lay down railroad ties oh, yeah. to try to create a surface as well. But at the end, you know, some of those are actually going to add cost to it. So you kind of weigh in those options. But probably the most common that I've seen this point in time that's been effective are these oil field sites. Because basically the surface has already been created and it's a good level flat surface that, that can be uh, beneficial. Yeah, so hopefully the surface drains water and that sort of thing. That's that's the biggest deal. I think of where I would stack hay on the edge of the field probably sometimes was just bare ground. And so if it's bare dirt, that could be your only option. You may be limited, but it's good to think about those surfaces as you put that bale down because that's where it's going to reside for a period of time. Well, and another thing to also consider if it is on bare ground, like you mentioned, is if it's wet now, the chances of it being like that in the wintertime or when you're trying to move those bales either to feed or locate to a different location, it's going to be even wetter in the wintertime due to more precipitation. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, primarily, even if we get snow or ice, you know, you just want to make it easier to get in and out of those areas as possible. Yeah. So the snow we had this winter. Oh, my right. goodness. So even thinking about the ease of access, remember that, <laughs> uh, right? What you want to also think about and what we forget, don't put them in a, kind of in the shade under a tree row. We want to place them anywhere where um, the sunshine can get to them. I think of horticulture questions. Full sun flowers, they like full sun. (laughs) Bales also like to be placed in full sun. Not partial shade. Yeah, that's right. So what can we do since we are placing them outside? What can we do be done to preserve hay quality? And let's talk specifically about placing them in certain directions or that sort of thing. Sure. You know, we see a lot of bales just lined up, butted in the end. And I think that's really important. The biggest key that I've seen is when they're really tight in a row, they, they maintain their quality uh, much better. Uh, you can really tell that as you start to move them over time because once you remove that outer bell, you can really tell how the weather has impacted the other bells because you won't see that damage to maybe the top two inches. But running them east and west versus north and south is uh, also a way we need to look at it. I prefer north to south. Usually we get north and south winds, kind of get wind flow going through there versus east and west. Some areas will allow you to do that. Some areas won't. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what fits best to your, your situation. But I think the critical thing is, is just getting them good and tightly stacked is going to help you in the long run. Yep. So um, another thing, spacing your rows apart right. so that wind can get through there. Uh, we say four feet, three to four feet is what I've seen, maybe farther. And if you want to keep the weeds down in between, make sure you can get your mower through there or exactly. something. If you if you want to take it that, that much farther, I've heard that before. Um, so spacing is important. Well-drained surface, like we said. And we talked a little bit about this earlier on, but getting a good thatch or putting the behay up so there's good thatch on the outside of the bale helps shed water. So we want leaves on that alfalfa right. so that it's a good solid thatch. And we say net wrap preserves hay quality a little bit better than string. And that's because in a round baler, the bale has to go around and around and around and around when you have string inside a round baler. With net wrap, it just has to turn that bale three or four times. Right. It just basically what we say is it just wraps it. Uh-huh. And... Uh, Plus, you get more surface coverage than the traditional mm-hmm. string, and and I've, you know, there's there's lots of different types of net wraps out there as well, but I think they all do a good job, and I think it's also good at maintaining the the circumference and the density of that mm-hmm. bell as well versus yes. the string. It doesn't break off a bunch of stems right. on the outside of the bell. It's not necessarily the plastic that preserves it, like the little net wrap, but it does help keep it together better. Right. Those are some really important things. And so we feel this is so important that we um, have designed a demonstration. So Marty and I kind of thought about this over the last year or so. We have included our area livestock specialists from across the state to include their educators. And we're going to do some hay storage demonstrations. So tell us a little bit about what we're doing, Marty. What we're focusing on is three different orientations that we're going to compare with the bales. We're going to have uh, bales running east and west, and then another set running north and south, and then we're going to triangle stack another set of three bales. Within that, we're going to circumference, weigh, uh, moisture test all the bales when we're when we're putting them into the initial study to get an accurate reading of, of where we're at going into it. 
So yeah, we're going to look at density and just have like a good visual of what can happen with some bale storage. So we're just right. doing small little projects, utilizing some bales from um, generous producers from across the state who are willing to give us 10 or so bales to put into it. All different hay types. Just an interesting way to start the conversation about feeding efficiency. You know, we talk about bale feeding, but this is even before that. And that's why I feel like it's really important. Let's preserve the quality of our feed before we feed it. Let's do our best so we're not losing or we have costs before we even feed it. To me, it's all about maximizing our quality. What I failed to mention is when we take these measurements and everything, we're going to have a control that will be kept in a barn that we will be able to tell the potential losses that we see from the bales in the different stacks that we have compared to our control. When it gets time for feeding season or uh, when we decide the producer decides he needs to either move them or, mm -hmm. or feed those bales that are in the project. So a minimum of six months is what we've right. said. Um, but if the producers are interested and want to take it longer, we're going to keep bales kind of in storage a little longer just to see what sort of losses we have, maybe up to a year or even farther if they're interested in doing that. We're just interested in some of these really easy ways to preserve hay quality. I mean, it's not too hard, in my opinion, to just move the bale row a different direction. If that saves you 8% loss, I mean, that's significant. Like you mentioned earlier, the outer two inches accounts for 11%. A lot of people may debate that that doesn't account to much, but, you know, one bale is that much and say you have 200 round bells that you're feeding over your feeding season you know over a period of time that's going to equate to yep. 20 additional bells you yeah. know so in the long run that's going to have a huge impact like we mentioned on our cost mm -hmm. of production and our our budget for nutrition so there you have it a bale storage introductory conversation um, we hope to come back to you maybe sure. in six or eight months, talk about some of the things we found. We hope that some of our listeners can take advantage of some of the meetings we have associated with the bale storage demonstrations, associated with feeding, feeding efficiency. It goes hand in hand with cube feeding. You know, absolutely, it's, it's all of that. So thank you, Marty, for joining me and today. You bet. Thank you. Everybody enjoy this cooler July weather. <laughs> Stay safe out there and we'll catch you next time. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. If you would like to hear more or follow up on the discussed topics, please reach out to your local county extension agent. OSU has a presence in all 77 counties with educators eager to assist you. Also, please consider checking the description for links to our social media pages and further information pertinent to the conversation. Thanks again and we'll talk to you soon.